Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, the semi-funniest Elixir podcast around. My name is Desmond Bowie and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Bell. Good afternoon, Desmond, or good evening, I should say, from New York. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Chris. It's uh, sunny and, well, not as warm in LA as it usually is. Got those fires going on? We do have fires, so that's uh, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Just, um, it turns out what I think is going on is that... Um, like near power lines, they have some sort of spark or some other kind of flash. And I don't know if this is a common thing for power lines to do or if like these uh, poles are just um, dilapidated. But like something happens and then everything around it just ignites because it's all dried grass. That sounds like a bug, not a feature. Uh, yeah, I, I would consider this a bug. <laughs> Unless you want everything to burn and then, you know. I mean, it's part of the, like, natural uh, habitat around here. It's true. It's to burn from time to time. Uh, the problem is that people put their houses next to it. So <laughs> when they burn, their houses go up. So Yeah. It sounds That's rough. That's a bug. I, uh, I'm luck- I feel good to not be over there right now. But um, for any listeners who are over there, I hope you're doing okay. And uh, we know that we have quite a few of you in LA. So I hope you're staying safe and out of the smoke and everything like that. But um, mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this in the far future, well, hopefully there aren't so many fires. Uh, yeah, I hope there aren't <laughs> so many fires. Because you always have to like, always have to think about the fact that like no one is listening to this in real time with us, you know? So I always think about like, you might be coming back years later, listening to the Elixir Talk back catalog and just taking it all in episode by episode. That would be pretty interesting. I mean, it's like a is time anyone capsule. Do that? Well, do you ever listen to like audio recordings from like 50 years ago? No, but I, I was just thinking like people who are just picking up the podcast, may, maybe like next year, maybe they're new to Elixir and they go, they're like, oh, Elixir Talk, that sounds like an Elixir-based podcast I could listen to. (laughs) And then they listen to the entire back catalogue, and then they have to hear us rattling on about events that are no longer relevant to their lives, you know? I know, they're like trying to show up to MPEX, it's like... (laughs) Yeah, they're like, "Um, I I thought it was MPEX, and you're like, yeah, that was like five years ago, man. Well, let's hope the Elixir community is still going in five years, you know? that's. uh, Uh, I'm sure five is actually a low ball, uh, maybe like 20, you know? 20 years, well, I mean, Erlang's been around for that long, at least that long, so... It's true. I don't think we're going to go anywhere. I mean, you know, it's not that it'll go anywhere. Maybe, like, adoption starts to level off, mm. um, and so it's no longer new and buzzworthy, but, like, people are still using it behind the scenes. There'll be another, like, Elix- uh, an Erlang VM language that's way cooler, and we'll all be talking about that. We'll have a new show. Something else talk. Uh... Because we're really talk, bad with yeah. names, <laughs> just <laughs> awful at naming things. Yeah, or someone someone will uh, beat us to it because they'll know yeah. about all the success we had with this branding. And That's it. That is try it. To cover that ground. So, dude, I am sat dude. in a WeWork phone booth, and uh, I've been really determined to make this joke, but there's no formaldehyde. Everything's okay. And if you don't know what I'm referencing, it is in reference to the fact that they had to close a bunch of WeWork phone booths because they found there was formaldehyde in the in the material, I guess. Uh, but fortunately, my WeWork building has been spared. Um, and yeah, that's that. That was about as good as I could have made that segment. So wait, where I thought that was a joke. It wasn't really a joke. It was more of a. It was more of a thing. <laughs> It's bad humor like, over here, you know. 
Jokes have punchlines, you know. Yeah, like- there's no punchline. It was just, it was just that. It was just a statement. Um, but yeah, we're here. We're back again with another episode of Elixir Talk. We have no guests today. It's a Desmond and Chris spectacular episode of stuff where we will talk about many riveting and exciting subjects that are close to the Elixir community and ecosystem. Just so our listeners know, as Chris rapidly changes the subject, he prepared me for this joke about the <laughs> the phone booth ahead of the episode before we started recording. Like, get ready. You know, I'm going to make a joke. I said, okay, I'm ready for it. And that was the joke is there was no joke. It was a misfire, right? So. <laughs> I didn't think it through. And now I'm trying to move on fast to other <laughs> subjects. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to get the podcast rolling, Desmond. I'm trying to get those people out there hearing the Elixir content. So right. Um, so on that topic, do you want to tell us about MPEX LA? Uh, yes, Chris, I'd love to. So everyone, um, longtime listeners of this podcast know that Chris and I organize an Elixir conference called MPEX, which started in New York several uh, several years ago, and um, is also happening in LA. And I'm pleased to say that our speakers for MPEX LA 2020 have been announced. Um, we're recording this uh, a few days before the actual announcement goes out, so um, it's a great lineup. Uh, our, our emphasis this year is on real-time applications, so real-time UX, um, real-time data flow patterns, uh, database storage techniques, uh, how do you architect your application for high-throughput concurrency. Um, there's also several talks on NURBS and um, embedded devices. So we're very excited about this year's lineup. Um, it's a pretty good one, very timely, very relevant. Uh, please check it out. Tickets are now on sale. So please visit our website, which is mpex.co slash LA to uh, see the details. Speakers are up there. Tickets are on sale. And um, the event is Saturday, February 8th, 2020. So uh, one day single track conference in sunny Los Angeles, California. Please check it out. It'll be a good time. Nice. I have been to every single one so far, so I basically have to keep that up. Otherwise, I have to relinquish my MPEX title, whatever that might be. Didn't you skip MPEX LA 2018? No, wasn't that? No, I came. I came, I think. Was I not yeah. there? I don't think you Maybe were I wasn't there. Maybe you're right. I spoke at one. Was that the first one? Maybe you were, maybe you were there. I thought I remember you missing one of them. Pretty sure I didn't. It's definitely there well, this year. cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I remember it's a great time. I, I think, um, you know, it's a really nice little conference and great speakers. And like the MPEX way, we treat everyone very well. And I think everyone has a great time. And it's a really good focused day of technical content. So looking forward to seeing the lineup. I haven't actually seen it and have no idea who's going to be speaking. So that's all going to be a surprise to me as well when that comes out. Great. Well, check it out. Hope to see you there. Yes, and also, I should also plug the fact that we are opening up our CFP for MPEX NYC as well. Uh, so by the time this podcast comes out, we should have a CFP online. We are we have no particular theme other than the fact that we're looking for people who uh, like things to do with Elixir and also functional programming. Um, we'd love to hear from first-time speakers as well. Don't feel like you have to have done another conference talk. We're definitely here to help you out if you want to get on stage. It's a really great event, nice size. You shouldn't feel overwhelmed. It's uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. So um, the link to that will be in the show notes as well. Cool. So that's it. That's all our plugs basically. So now we can get on with the content. 
Um, so thanks for sticking through to those eight minutes of <clears throat> roundabout subjects. <laughs> uh, so, Chris, what have you been working on? What have I been working on? Um, I have mostly been uh, recently doing a lot of GraphQL, doing a lot of React, and I've been exploring... I've been actually doing some push notification integrations this week, which has been fairly interesting. Um, do you remember the last time you had to do something like that? Push notifications? Yeah. yeah. I So my last experience with it, with it was um, basically like integrating with aws and leveraging another service but um and then actually at frame.io we moved from doing that using their simple messaging i don't even know what it is it's one of those acronyms um we moved from that to actually running it all in elixir via this library called pigeon um which if you haven't seen pigeon before it's actually a very very good library so allows you to basically um it, it works via http2 for the apple service um but runs a stateful connection and just pushes push notifications out to um to firebase cloud messenger which used to be google cloud messenger i don't know what the gcm is but um pushes out to there or pushes out to the apple push notification service so um yeah it's one of those things where you're like i could outsource this bit of infrastructure but actually i'm running elixir and i can really easily bring this into my code base and that is what I've been setting up, and of course had to do the the certificate dance with uh, <laughs> with like Apple sign and certificates that you always seem to have to do. But mm-hmm. that's like the most painful part, and then it just works. So we were running that at Frame, um, putting quite a large amount of messages over it. Can't give you a number, forgotten the number, um, but it was very reliable in production. So I'm going to be running that again here. But yeah, that's what I've been working on. How about cool. you? I haven't um, I haven't done push notifications in a long time. I remember it being a big pain because you have to keep track of a user and then their device yes. ID and like maybe that expires. Yeah. Um, as well, all as of that is they've... still true. Th- those things still exist, so I have to deal with all of that stuff, like registering a device, deregistering a device, mm-hmm. keeping track of which ones are active, so you know which what, uh, devices to actually send pushes out to, and things like that. But mm-hmm. and then obviously there's like the actual modeling of the activities and the notifications on top of it, which is like a whole other right. problem. But that's for uh, next week, Chris, to deal with. But this week, Chris has been all about the infrastructure. So that's cool. You ever wonder um, what Apple's uh, notification service infrastructure looks like? Uh, yeah, imagine like the throughput that that thing has to deal with. I always yeah, think right? about that with like messages. Just imagine like the sheer number of like messages that get delivered on a daily basis, you know? And then mm-hmm. imagine the size of the DB and everything else that's backing that. And the, I'm guessing the size of the many, 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 many sharded DBs that are backing that. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. If there's any Apple engineers out there, maybe you're using Elixir. Who knows? Maybe you are. If you are, you should get in touch for because we. <laughs> Even if you're not, you I'd love to hear about it. I mean, I know. I, you know, like it's one of those worlds of like black box infrastructure. You're just like this works and it works pretty well, and mm-hmm. I have no idea how you're doing it at this kind of scale and this reliably. So yeah, because that just like came online and then had to handle a bazillion messages. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I saw a tweet at some point from like an Apple engineer working on it or someone who used to work on it. Um, sounds like an interesting piece of tech, but yeah. Yeah, and then on the push side, it must be crazy, like dealing with that the volume of notifications on a daily basis. So, yeah. Um, 
I would definitely recommend Pigeon though. If you're if you're going to be doing this in the future, I think it's such a good library to be able to just you know not have an external dependency. And I know it's not like some massive piece of infrastructure that you can forgo. And there's probably other reasons why you might want someone else to manage it. But like I don't know if you're starting out like and you can just do that, I don't think that's too bad. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Cool. I remember there was uh, some third-party tool that name, whose name escapes me now, but this must have been like 2012, 2013 when I was using it. And I remember it was pretty good. It did a lot of that management for you. Like you register an external user ID and then it would keep track of um, like preferences and then device IDs changing and it was great. And then it was shut down. I don't, I don't remember why. Maybe they were acquired. And, but I remember that being a big bummer because they took a lot of this pain out of managing uh, push notifications. Yeah, I've I've used a bunch of services in the past. It's actually funny now, like, because I think, like, there's a lot of services that will send push for you if you're doing, like, um, something around targeting customers in other ways for, like, I don't know, messages or, like, uh, reactivation campaigns and things like that. You'll have, like, push notification integrations in a bunch of different services anyway. So it's kind of funny, like, having all of these different marketing tools that also will send them out and you can do segmentation in those tools to then be able to send mm. out push pushes to particular users so, mm. or particular groups of users. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's always that, like, much more transactional nature of uh, kind of sends that you need to put inside of your app, you know? You know, it's like the same with, like, emails. Like, someone signs up or someone requests a password reset, right? These are the kinds of things that you end up always baking into your service. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't know it's just like just another integration in my mind Uh, yes it it is another integration (laughs) that's that on that riveting topic of push notifications yeah Mm -hmm. but I don't know I'm still in the perpetual honeymoon phase of doing this stuff in Elixir to be honest and like I was actually um uh, we had Chris McCord on the last podcast and he was talking about a library that he recommended, which is called Oban. Um, and Oban is O-B-A-N. O-B-A-N. Yeah. Um, Oban is a jobs library um, for that actually uses, interestingly, it uses Postgres. You might think like, oh, a job library in Elixir that should use like distributed Elixir or something, but um, it actually uses the DB and has a lot of guarantees about unique running of execution of jobs and things like that and it's a really really good library like well worth checking out if you have a need to run uh you need more resiliency with your like jobs or you need um scheduled jobs or whatever it might be in your i i I feel like this is like a one of those things that you're like you always have to reach to you know in your app so so but the thing the thing with this is it has uh, persistence of jobs, right? That's like yeah, the big thing yeah. about having a DB behind it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so- and it gives you a lot of guarantees then as well about retrying them, um, resiliency around it. Um, they can all get retried. You can kill a job in the middle of execution. You can, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a lot of good reasons to have it in the DB. Obviously, it adds an extra load on top of your database. Um but it seems to be pretty performant as well. So that's not something that I'm too worried about right now. Does it uh, just pull the database for new jobs? Yeah, I don't understand the actual mechanism for how it does it, though, because I don't know if it's a poll or if it's like a clever Postgres like 
look up or like uh you know like you know there's all these like magic things in the db where you're like wow you can do all of that i i feel like it might use one of those mechanisms you know do you know what i'm talking about <laughs> magic things in the db yeah you know like there's all these like there's like the secret world of DBAs that they hide from us where they're like, oh, you can do a trigger and or there's this like amazing Postgres function that will listen for things in this table and inserts and then magically run something else if it if it happens. I don't know. I actually don't know how it works. I should have looked into it a lot more, um, but it seems to work very well and be very well, reliable. But so are, isn't that aren't we back to just using Sidekick for our jobs? <laughs> I, I mean, Yes, in some ways. Um, I think that Sidekick wasn't a bad solution for certain kinds of problems, though, right? I'm, by the way, oh, yeah, this is actually, that's a really good point. I don't think we should, we should let everyone know that you shouldn't, if you've been in a language like Ruby or Python and, or Node, and you've thought about everything as an asynchronous piece of work that has to happen and you have to enqueue it to a separate service to do it. Well, Elixir has some powerful concurrency mechanisms built in where you don't necessarily need to do that, right? Um, and But I will say, I still think there are times where you have to reach for um, something like a job and queuing library if you want certain guarantees around it. You know, So I'm not pushing all of my work through this. It's very particular kinds of workloads. Uh, okay. I mean, what kinds of workloads? Because you have... You can just spin up a, f- a bunch of tasks to do concurrent work on the fly or in the background, like if you wanted to send an email, um, mm-hmm. you know, you spin up a process to do that. At what point do you need the guarantee of like restarting this if the VM dies in the middle of the operation? Um, for me, it's about the critical delivery of push notifications, actually. So okay. there are pieces of work that I want to ensure go out and go out at most once, I guess. Well, And I know there's other guarantee. It's difficult to guarantee with a third-party service, of course, about deliverability. But at least calling that service once, making sure it gets out there, um, making sure we're not enqueuing too many, things like that. Running scheduled ones, like we also have the need to make sure that we're running them at particular times after sign-up and various other things. And this... Open makes all of that a bit easier. Also, to the point of like, yes, you can just spin up tasks, but I think there's, a, and I, to be honest, I do that. I have a, a, a an event bus baked into the system right now where an event gets triggered, gets dispatched to lots of workers. They pick up the job, uh, they pick up the event, they run some async work and they move on, right? Some of that async work might be something like contacting um, an analytics provider, turning turn an internal system event into an external event something like that right and delivering that over there so i already have that concept Mm -hmm. but as soon as you go from that but then you need more guarantees around i need to ensure that those jobs have been run if they fail i need to make sure that they're retried all of those kinds of things add a lot of complexity to something that started out very very simple um and to be honest i don't feel like writing that um and that's something where i would turn to a library like Oban for but isn't that just a supervised task that gets restarted if it fails? Yeah, but then you've got to deal with like node going down issues, right? And what if you need to run it? Like we had the, we, we had this uh, at Frame where we ran like basically everything asynchronously. Um, but you, we couldn't make a lot of guarantees about those that the jobs being run. So like um, what we would have to do, say we had, a, we had like an event bus that had a queue and then we'd be 
uh, pulling off that queue and running like async work, right? Um, and when we did deploys, but because all of that was in memory, when we did deploys, we basically had to drain from the LB, make sure all the jobs got processed before everything was done. And then once we, we, we never knew when the jobs were actually done, we were basically making sure that, um, some allotted time window that we had picked where we felt like it was an arbitrary amount of time. Once that was up, then we were allowed the node to shut down. But like that only handles events that are obviously like graceful shutdowns, right? What if like, mm-hmm randomly the node crashes which is a possibility then you lose all your work yeah but that's true of any uh kind of asynchronous work um in an yeah but I, i'm saying if it's backed by a, a, a like a centralized store then you can at least guarantee have, make more guarantees about it right sure but i mean extending that argument then there's no reason to ever to spin up a process to do a thing because the system could go down at any time and then you lose whatever the process is doing and then it's just gone uh, I, I think that there's a difference between saying that you need to do, you need to have guarantees around delivery of certain tasks than there is around. I, I understand the argument about like, well, if everything can go down, then why even like do it? Why even have supervisors, right? But it, it feels like that's like taking it to the nth degree. I don't know. I, I, I think that there's like, there's a really good time and space for doing supervised jobs. And I think if you had, if you use distributed Erlang and like, you had all your nodes connected together and you could just pass the work around and then you could figure out other ways to do it. And then you basically have better guarantees around the execution of that work, right? You can say if this node goes down, maybe the state is replicated across all the nodes of the of the queue or something like that. And then someone else can pick it up and carry on executing. Like mm-hmm. now you've got like better guarantees about about the reliability of, the, of those jobs and like about the execution of those jobs getting done. But like... I don't know. I like sometimes it's just easier. Uh, this is bad to say on an Elixir podcast. Sometimes it's just easier to centralize the state, right, and not like reach one of those services. And I know you're basically just shifting the problem around, but like, hell, it feels like sometimes a bit easier, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm. Um, what? <laughs> no, I was you just. Got more to say? I was, yeah, I know. I was thinking back to the time where we had um, the we had chap on the podcast who was doing the stuff with uh for the nhs in the uk and they were like running these really big distributed airline clusters that kept everything in memory effectively right but then Mm -hmm. they still had some persistence and i like i think those kinds of solutions are well suited at some times but like sometimes you just need to like have something that works that's just like executing jobs and you can guarantee that they're going to go out and like you don't get it's like there isn't a silver bullet like out of the box in Erlang and Elixir and OTP where you could just say like all of this stuff just magically works, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes you need more than that, you know. I yeah. What what's your take? What would you would you do everything as supervised tasks? I mean, I think that there's a a place for like storing jobs that need to survive restarts. Um yeah, I think that's fine. And if you need some visibility into what's like going on, what's been processed, what's in queue to be processed, to what's in queued to be processed, uh, then that sort of system can make a lot of sense. I I wonder if though, like when you incorporate something like that, then there's temptation to just well, why don't we throw everything in there? Like we get all these nice guarantees. This is the whole system, and then it's like okay, well then, what's the benefit of this actor model and like. Uh, the supervision trees in the first place. Mm. Yeah, I 
but I think you have to have, I think there naturally becomes different kinds of workloads in the system, right? Where you have some jobs that are, uh, need different guarantees than others. Like what I was pointing to before, right? I'm saying that there's some things that, you know what? I'm okay. So fire and forget. If we don't get those things sent, we have a way to recover it anyway. It wouldn't be the end of the world. But mm -hmm. I think there's some kind of jobs where I'm like, we identify them as being of more uh, of greater importance so that we need to have bet more guarantees around those the execution of those jobs and if they do fail i do want a, a way to be able to restart them i do want them to survive across nodes i maybe want to do different historical analysis across those as well you know i maybe want different observability into those things um mm -hmm. but i think you can hide all of that through like elegant abstraction layers right to the point of like may maybe you have like one queue going to one place um like it could still for me it could still go via my same event bus i could just like tag it by saying like recoverable or something and then it mm -hmm. automatically goes and gets processed on this other queue mm -hmm. so i mean it i think it touches on concepts of uh let it crash which is like one of the thornier subjects in the community because it's taken at uh a face value of like, oh, well, okay, I'll just like let this thing die and then it gets restarted to a last known good state. Well, what is that? Like, what is the last known good state? What happened to the previous state? Uh, you know, I wanted that. Um, right. I wanted some of that. And in the case of a gen server, you know, it's humming along, it's accumulating state and then it crashes and then it gets restarted with whatever you initialized it with in the first place as opposed right. to the which last thing it had before it died, which is not that helpful because that's stale. <laughs> right. And so then the question is, all right, well then how, like, how do I get to this last known state? And at, at that point, like, if I'm storing that last known good state somewhere else so that I can recover in the event of a crash, like, why would I keep it in this process in the first place? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, 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 I think this is such a gotcha with like some people as well when they're starting out here, right? Where it's like, oh, I, I can put everything in processes and then you end up with having like gen servers that are bottlenecks or everything in the system because you've tried to put everything in memory, you know? I, I did that. We've talked about that before. Yeah, I mean, I got stuck at uh, my last job where we had uh, a shitload of processes running around, each with their own state. And it became really difficult, just like just the directory of finding a process to do an action on it. Mm-hmm. Um, introduced a ton of overhead um, because right, and you, you know, can end we, up deadlocking things as well, right? Like if you have like all these processes waiting on other processes and processing messages like that, it can be. I don't know. I I think it's like it's a level of complexity that unless you really need it, like I wouldn't be reaching for that. Sometimes it seems like uh, you have to kind of swallow the whole system at once. Mm. Like you can keep things in processes, like if you're distributed, and like the system never goes down for uh and you're doing like hot upgrades and uh yeah just the whole the whole otp hog um otherwise if you start saying all right well, we're going to take these nodes down then you introduce questions of okay well where do i where do i keep my state like where else you know what other systems do i have to bring along to get some of these guarantees uh and then you kind of quickly start carving away at like well why even bother with supervision trees mm. like a lot of the stuff is just going to get um, what am I saying? Uh, why do we bother with supervision trees? Because we're going to be storing these jobs elsewhere, and then uh, if we have a system that needs to rehydrate its state, uh, then if we let it crash, then um, I mean, I guess the supervisor will restart the process. But I think I'm kind of losing this thread here. 
I, I, I like those guarantees for other reasons, though, right? Like, I like having supervision so I can say that. And I like the fact that I have the beam so I can say that, you know, at my web serving layer, I'm like doing all this work and all these processes. And I know if one goes down, my entire system doesn't crash, you know, like there's there's other good reasons to have those guarantees that aren't just necessarily like, oh, I want to store everything in state. Like all mm-hmm. everything needs to be a process and everything needs to be this like, this this world where I'm saying like, well, I can keep everything in this process and it'll be really fast and it's a cache and like, that's really cool. And then you have all these other problems, you know? Then you've got mm-hmm. this problem of like, how do I invalidate that? How do I make sure like I route things correctly to the correct process all the time via registry? And now you you literally have like these big distributed system problems where if you're reaching to store everything in like single globally distributed pieces of state, like, and they're not even global a lot of the time. People think about it on a node-by-node node basis. And then you've got other problems, you know, where I'm like, if I had that kind of business and I was starting out, I think the language is fast enough and the DB is good enough that I would be still reaching for that. Obviously, it massively depends on the kind of subject and what you're doing, what like kind of business you have. Because, you know, I know you know this better than anyone, like versus you had a you had like a a constraint there, right? About the time that you could spend and you needed everything to be that fast. Mm-hmm. And there was a concept of like things that are live right now versus things that are not live. Right, right, right. And but then I think that a lot of people don't necessarily have those problems when they're starting out. And some of those, you know, you you start going down that path where you start like putting everything in those processes. And I think you end up in a worse state as if you would have just started out a bit simpler and leveraged centralized state using a mm-hmm. DB. And I know you're just shifting one problem for another. And I know you've got the network before everyone yells at me. And I know that you're still storing state somewhere. But like, I also think that it's, it can be easier starting from a place like that than trying to fit everything into this like process model where, you know, you keep all your state there and you're like being really careful about retrying jobs and you maybe there's, you're just trading off different guarantees basically, right? Yeah. I guess the thing that bums me out is that that's how we like market this technology. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about, oh, well, you store state in these processes and it's sweet. And, you know, OTP gives you these guarantees about, you know, monitors and processes get linked and then you know when something goes down and you can take actions on it. Uh, but you're never going to do that. You know, you're going to write like, you know, that's all happening under the hood. Phoenix handles that kind of concurrency at the web layer or, you know, Cowboy and Ranch do. Um, and that works really well. But like your developer experience um, probably doesn't involve a lot of that. And but, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with this like boring use of Elixir where you're not doing those things, you know. And I think that's like the, maybe that's the elephant in the room in the community. <laughs> Which is like, it's okay to not be like going crazy and using all of this system design for everything. You know, you're build, you're still building on top of like a great foundation. It's kind of like what we were talking about in the changelog, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the, like the sober opinion, but it's, yeah. it seems weird to me that like all these shiny things are marketed. And then like the last chapter, the stunning reveal is like, oh, but you're not actually going to use this stuff. You don't need to do it. Don't worry about it. But I think you are. You are using it though. Like I wrote my event bus, right? Like where I'm I'm talking about here is it's probably like a hundred lines of code and half of that was copy and pasted from like an example, you know? Mm-hmm. Like and all of that is like I have I have decent enough guarantees where I'm like I'm basically spinning up something that's running in processes, 
concurrently processing work and sending it out to loads of places, like leveraging this really nice abstraction model, right? Like that's that's great. That's like I, I want to use it for things like that, but I'm saying that there's a limit to that. And if I need to reach for something more complex, I understand that there's a different tool in my tool belt where I might need better guarantees around the execution of some of these jobs. And therefore I need to reach for something where there, there is persistence. And for me, like Oban seems like a good fit for that. There's other libraries that are doing more distal stuff um, that probably are a bit closer to what you're talking about, right? But I think you just have to work a bit harder in those. So that's, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I guess we like veered off a bit because we're talking about like job execution, but then we're also talking about state and processes. And um, I just, I guess for the audience, the reason why that's still the same classification of problem is if you're dealing with um, like a, a an event queuing system or a job queuing system basically you're going to have a queue in memory right so you're always going to need to be reading off that queue and executing the work from it and um if you haven't tried out some of these like supervision trees and some of the guarantees that you get there it's really interesting to experiment with but the the, the big thing you have to think about is all of that all of that is ephemerally stored in memory and yes there are mechanisms to persist it you could write it to a disk you could write it to a DB and then rehydrate it. But as Desmond was talking about, sometimes getting your state, getting your process to a good last known state can be can be tricky. I think you, um, you, I, I, I still don't feel like there's something like you have to you have to write this stuff right. There isn't some magic that's like I want rehydrated state and everything should just like you know persist when the node's going down and rehydrate when it's coming back up or something like that you still have to write some of this and it's not it's not complex code but it's code that you have to have in your system and you have to make an intentional like point where you're saying i want us to own this piece of infrastructure around this queuing mechanism right and you might have different needs where you have i don't know you you might have a more complex system where you actually need to send jobs to like a a Kafka or have some other consumers of it anyway. So maybe this is, you know, it's, it's all just like a, it depends on what your use case is, but I'm still at the, I'm still at the position where I'm like, I think until you really need to reach for some of these things, like starting simple and then like leveraging some well-built off the shelf components is going to get you really far. Like Oban is a good thing for me there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. What's it? So, like, what's your current thinking about processes and state and all these all these things, Desmond? Uh, can you be more specific? Yes. Um, so we talk a lot about storing state in processes and storing state in gen servers and how you might process some of these things. Like, what would you reach for today if you were building a system like that? Like what I'm describing. Uh, like what you're describing as in something that needs... Uh like guarantees or something that needs um, durability. Yeah, I think durability and guarantees. Um, well, if the durability is surviving application restarts, then you're looking at an external data store. Um, unless you want to deal with a cluster that shifts state around, uh, which you can do. I mean, I think that that introduces a lot of complexity as opposed to like, just put the thing in Postgres or in Redis or in RabbitMQ or something. Um, mm. Or in React, which has, uh, you know, its own uptime guarantees. And um, I mean, then it depends on what kind of data are you putting in there. I mean, Postgres is 
great for a lot of things. Um, React is a key value store. Maybe that's what you need. Uh, it doesn't have relationships, obviously. And um, the, I mean, the choice of Postgres for something like Oban, Oban uh, all else being equal, is probably not the the most tailor-made database for that sort of problem, but you probably already yeah. have it in your system. So it's the expedient choice. I think that's totally fine and it's pretty good. Mm. Um, so yeah, it depends. I mean, like you were talking about keeping or writing your messaging bus and how well that worked. I mean, that's basically like RabbitMQ, which is written in Erlang. And I think uh, the technology maps pretty well to that problem space. So yeah, I mean, am I building like high availability message queue? Um, am I just like keeping a cache of data that I want around after restarts? Uh, you know, that looks like Redis or maybe React. Um, I mean, I'm probably going to be using Postgres to store like my relational data anyway as a primary exactly. data store. So I think I that mean, like the fact that you have that in a system is a good starting place as well, right? Like you don't have to turn to something else if you've already got it there. Like, but again, there's all these blog posts about like, oh, you can write this Elixir app like without any <laughs> da a database. And then right. people get the impression that that's the thing that they should do instead of like, look, this is possible in the same way that like you could drive your car with your feet if you want to. <laughs> but... You know, it doesn't what make it analogy. a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think, yes, you can do all these things, but you have to understand the trade-offs of doing those things and what you're throwing away, And right? That's, I guess that's my point about all of this is like, you you, you have to, you, there's times where you might want to do it, and you, but you just have to, you have to understand like what you're getting into, right? Yeah, and so this, this gets back to my beef with some of these, uh, like the way that we market some of these things uh, tools that the technology gives us is we say, well, here's what it can do. And here's, you know, this whiz bang feature. And isn't this neat? And can your language do this? But we don't say like why you would want to use it or when it makes sense. And what are the trade-offs? And maybe just like, yeah, here's a thing that's possible, but it's, it's just kind of interesting. Like, don't do this. Don't do this in production. And mm. I would like to see a little more of that because I do think that people coming to the language are looking for patterns. They're seeing these new tools they're seeing these new approaches, and then they're trying to map that to their problem space. And so if I'm new to this technology and I see a blog post saying, uh, here's how you can use this to write an app without a database, my brain is going to think, oh, well, that's, that's a desirable thing to do. That's something that yeah. I should be doing, even though it doesn't make any sense. And it takes a while to figure out what does make sense. Um, and I think we yeah. do a disservice to the technology because it, it hastens a lot or it encourages a lot of um, disillusionment because you're brought mm. on with all these promises and like hot upgrades is the big, probably the, 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 the holy grail of like big promises of this technology that no one uses. And then they, mm. and people actively discourage its use. And so why even bring it up in the first place without a big flag of like, this is possible. Don't do this. Here be dragons. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, like, there are there are really, really good use cases for when you need to reach for, like, keeping things in memory for, and it's a reasonable trade-off to make, right? Like, maybe you have something that needs to be very, very fast, and it's not going to be a bottleneck, and you can, like, it's like ETS, right? Like, you can, you can leverage ETS in your system pretty easily, mm -hmm. and maybe that's just one point where you can introduce a cache, and maybe that's absolutely what you need, and you're okay with the fact that, like, that cache is only ever going to exist on that node, but that's, mm -hmm. 
you know? And now I don't have to reach for Redis. I mean, am I... Okay, time out. Am I being too hard on this here? Because, like, in my ideal world, there are there's documentation about these tools, these techniques, and it's followed up with a big uh, section on pros, cons, trade-offs, when you should use this, like, example use cases, like, mini case studies or whatever. So, you know, when I discover ETS and I think, wow, gee, like, an in-memory key value store. I don't have to serialize my objects. Cool. And then right below it in big red letters, like, do not use if. Um, and I mean, they, they talk about this in the docs, but I think we all go through our like learning cycle about it and you come out with the experience of, okay, yeah, I, now I know when to reach for this tool and when not to, and maybe that's just like, that's just experience. And the same is true of other technologies. And so I guess what I, where I'm going with this thread is, am I being too hard on ourselves? And I'm just kind of glossing over like, well, that's just that's just experience and there's no shortcut mm-hmm. to acquiring experience. Yeah. I think that's understanding systems as well. Right. You're like basically saying we're making this trade off where we're like, Oh, now we're going to have distributed system problems. If I'm mm-hmm. having everything local on a node and now I'm going to have like caching validation problems across nodes and things like that versus like, I'm going to leverage some other thing where I'm going to have a different series of trade offs, right? The network being one, if that's something that you're going to end up doing like with mm-hmm. Redis, right? Or maybe it's like now it's really hard to scale Redis because you've got like, I don't know, every, like tons and tons of things trying to contact one node or something. Mm-hmm. And yes, obviously lots of these are solved problems, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like there there are of this category of problem where you kind of have to understand what you're walking into or you just have to get it wrong and then like dig your way out of it to then know what to do better next time. And I mm-hmm. think like that, I think very often that's kind of our experience, right? You plow headfirst into something, you you screw it up, and then you dig your way out of it. <laughs> that describes a lot of my experience, yes. Yeah, that also describes, like, every company I've ever worked at uh-huh. <laughs> as well. Like, like, there's bad decisions made, and you're, like, cursing the people, but you're like, oh, I understand that they're here for historical reasons, and now we need to figure out other approaches. But maybe they were right at the time, you know? Yeah. But obviously, just... this isn't, like, I think doing homework about what you're using and understanding the trade-offs is the real message, right? Yeah, I just want to like help people avoid making those mistakes in the first place, if possible. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I think like yes, better education, better case studies, better understanding of the the trade-offs of some of the different approaches, right? But you also have to be willing to listen to actually absorb that experience as well, which you know, mm-hmm. I think there's some people that doesn't ever really work for but yeah it's like a collective group retro where we're continuously retroing what i was with you until the last part about retros i don't know i feel like retros are all about learning and like you know maybe we could be as a community just constantly retroing about good uses of these things that's interesting what if we got like everyone in the community together in some giant online auditorium and mm. had some sort of massive retro about like how's the community going. That'd be cool. Would it? Yeah, I don't know though. I don't mm. know. I f- I feel like a retro like that would be very hard to facilitate. <laughs> but um, I guess like 
Yeah, the conference talks are a good way for us to continuously like learn from case studies. And that's why those kinds of talks, I think, are really, really important for building a foundation of a community as well. Like you want to hear the war stories. You want us to hear it like where it's gone wrong in production. You want to hear about bad choices. So mm-hmm. um, I always value those talks a lot and I always get quite a lot out of them. Um, so hopefully we can see a few more of those recently i don't know if i i I, maybe i stopped going to them or or something but i haven't actually been to an elixir case study kind of talk where i've been like oh yeah good learnings you know recently Mm -hmm. so Mm. yeah i don't know i'm sure people are going to um be mad at us for misusing the word guarantees and reliability and things like that but like for me um i don't know i like the these kind of systems problems where you're like i just Sometimes I'm just like, I just need this thing to work and I need to understand that like I do need better guarantees around it and I know I could be using some really cool things, but I'm also like that seems like a big amount of effort that I don't want to invest right now. So that's why for me <laughs> Oban is a is a good choice. But um yes. Cool. Well, yes. That's the word on Oban. That's the word on Oban, yes and processes and state and all those lovely things that uh, we enjoy talking about on this podcast Mm -hmm. so I think we should wrap it up there on that on that bombshell right yeah (laughs) on that non-bombshell of equitable discussion well it was better Um, than your formaldehyde joke yeah it was I'm sorry about that everyone it wasn't really a joke and uh, yeah it just sucks that that was a thing at WeWork so I'm just glad I avoided it in this phone booth that I spend a lot of time recording this podcast in so yeah well on that note everyone it's has been another episode of Elixir Talk with uh, myself Chris Bell and that man over there that you can't see is Desmond Bowie um, if you like this podcast we would love to hear from you with a rating or a review where, wherever you're getting it today in your ears Uh, As always, if you have any feedback about this episode or any of our other episodes, you can get in touch with us at twitter.com forward slash elixir talk, or you can open up a GitHub issue at github.com forward slash elixir talk forward slash elixir talk. So end of the show and keep elixir in.